Holy shit, dude. We just finished uh, episode... Nope. We finished season one, episode two of The Wheel of Time and The Wheel of Time Show of The Wheel of Time Show or more... Twats of twats. Yeah, it's called that by some people, which is really just us so far. Like I'm, six of us, I think. Yeah, I'm Garrett. I'm Adam. And we are talking Wheel of Time. And holy shit, I think we're pretty happy. At least I'm pretty happy. I was happy in the first place, but I'm like even more happy right now. I was pretty upset at the end of last episode. I will yeah. say I wish I would have just moved into episode two because <laughs> episode two is so much fucking better than episode one was. Yeah, uh, actually, Adam and I had a private conversation off mic and I talked him from the edge, guys. I brought him back. So you know what? My buddy Adam Diaz is back in happiness right now. Also, he saw Ghostbusters Afterlife and he just told me about it. And he said it was fucking amazing and I cannot wait to watch it either. I thoroughly enjoyed Ghostbusters Afterlife. However... I was going in with incredibly low expectations for that, so I was pleasantly surprised. I enjoyed it, but okay, this is the Wheel of Time show about the Wheel of Time show, so let's dive into this. Let's we do it! Oh, that was an unsatisfying beer open. So yeah, we're we're back in it. Uh, Wheel of Time show about the Wheel of Time show podcast about the Amazon series television show. Uh, we just watched season one, episode two. Just said all that stuff, so you're hearing it a second time, and that's the kind of power and <laughs> and we're, this is what we're, you can expect with this show over here is we're just going to repeat the shit out of ourselves a lot. I mean, you should have expected that from the title. Yeah. Let's be honest. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, it was, uh, we thought it was clever, it turns out it was just a huge pain in the ass, so, yeah. all right, Adam, we can go through this, I think, a lot faster than we did on episode one, only because that was like, we just had to, we just had to fucking barf out what we were feeling on that. It was everything we've had pent up for mm -hmm. the last however many 20 years, hoping yep. that a Wheel of Time show would show up, now we can kind of dissect it episode by episode. I will also say that, like, I mentioned how episode one was so fast paced there was so much stuff going on there that i wrote like a page and a half of just notes of what i should like talk about with scenes what happened in the in the summary um or in the uh, in the recap this one not even a page which is good because we had larger chunks we were able to slow down a little bit and actually digest some of this information so yeah, i had three pages uh, when I wrote out my thoughts, because I also included my WTF Rafe segment, mm -hmm. uh, but for this particular note, I have uh, less than half a page just because it was like, I realized for a while I was watching it like, wow, I haven't written anything yet because I'm just watching it, which yeah. is what you want to happen. This is going to be spoilerish. If you haven't seen it, watch it. If you want to listen to us, watch it at the same time. We do have a watch along with it. It's funny. It's Adam and I, and we say a lot of really funny jokes. We make fun of a lot of things in it, so it's awesome. It's very Mystery Science Theater 3000. We compare it to that uh, the last two times. Now I think that's actually the second time ever, so mm -hmm. it's it's good. Just go, just go sign up and listen to it. So uh, in this episode, our party is leaving. They're being chased by Trollocs. They leave the two rivers, and they go to Terran Ferry, where they cross the river, which is deep enough that Trollocs and a Mirdral pushing it on will not allow them to cross. Do we want to go to Terran Ferry so that we can hear uh, the, the sights and sounds of a not a whirlpool, but at least the uh, deep enough river? Yeah, I think that sounds really good. I like to have that ambiance mm. in the background. <laughs> oh, so stretch it up a little bit for me, Saint Francais. <laughs> I hate you. Yeah, that was bad. <laughs> I'm sorry, France. <laughs> uh, here we go. <laughs> we actually get to see now Moraine being 
very Moraine. She's really coming into a line of how I felt about Moraine, where it's just like, it's what needs to be done. It's always the greater good, and I fucking love it. Rosamund Pike is killing it, in my opinion. She absolutely kills it. And this this Terran fairy scene is very is very similar of how I read this scene. There's a little bit different about it, but this is the kind of book departures that I enjoy. It's like, it makes sense. Like, get on the fucking ferry as fast as you can. You don't have time to fuck around. Once you cross, that whole scenario is a little bit different, but it makes sense for that character to react in the way they do, which is the ferryman takes them across, and then he's like, my family's on the other fucking side, and the Trollocs are all there, and he jumps in, and his decision is stupid, and it gets him fucking killed. <laughs> and I enjoyed the fact that Moraine, it's like, it's just kind of like an eye roll, like, God damn it. Like, this guy's a moron, and she's like, she knows immediately they're going to blame her for it. It's like, I started the whirlpool before he jumped in. Like, it's not my <laughs> fault. Like, you stupid hicks or idiots. Yeah. So you can kind of get that frustration out of her. And uh, I just really enjoyed the fact that they just decided to say, hey, let's fast forward this. Let's make it a little bit more brutal. But we're making it more brutal because this is what that character would probably do. Like, they see, like, this army of Trollocs on the other side, and their loyalty is to their family and to their son who's on their way. There's a lot of, like, I could have bought it if they were just like, ah, fuck that, I'm not going back across. <laughs> but it definitely, it, it also makes sense if you're these stubborn river folk who just want to be dedicated to, like, protecting your family. So Terran Ferry was very cool. We also get to see a little bit more explanation of the Aes Sedai restrictions they have with the three oaths they are bound to. And then I have to slow down because I'm going to burn through this synopsis too fast. Ultimately, we have a lot of exposition of... Manatharin of Shader Logoth. We have a lot of exposition of what is happening, what A's to die are, and then we get to see these characters kind of start getting frustrated and pissed off. Yeah, they feel real in this episode. You, you get to hear them speak. You get to see them have emotions. And as far as deviations that had bothered me in the first episode, I can't think of what I might have missed out on too strongly because they kept in scenes that are critical. Like, mm -hmm. hey, I think you have the one power too. Like, let's test this out. Yep. That is such a pivotal point in the book to Egwene or Egwene or however they're saying her name to, to her deciding what she's going to do moving forward. Cause she's already had this idea in her head of what her life was going to be like as a wisdom. Now she's being told she can wield this one power. You get to see it happen. And it's this very nice moment between the two of them where Moraine is in this iteration versus the book way more forthcoming. Mm -hmm. She's not, like trying to be super manipulative. She's just trying to make sure these people understand the stakes. Like this is what's happening. This is the truth of the matter. And in that she describes like, I can't fucking lie. Like of all the people that you can trust, you can trust me. And then like a little bit later on, she's like, I didn't lie to that guy. I just said truthful <laughs> things that were super deceptive. And it's like, okay, you're starting to get the idea of what an Ayas Sedai actually is behaving like. Yeah. And it's, it's really important. And, the scene where they're out in the, the woods, they're all frustrated with each other. Then they go to bed. Like, I got to say, I was wondering whether or not, based off of some of the stuff we heard from Rafe, we would have anything of the Forsaken this season. Because someone asked him on Twitter, is there going to be any of the Forsaken since you're pulling from books one, two, and three? And he said, well, how much do you know about the Forsaken? And I said it multiple times on the show. Just show me a dude who has furnace for eyes and a mouth. And holy it. shit, we finally get to see him. And he is fucking scary. And the scene where Rand pulls a fucking bat out of his throat. He pulled a bat like, out of his mouth. <laughs> fuck? I was like, okay, I knew the dreams were going to be shortened and they're going to try and make it creepy. But that was fucked up. And you also get to see the whole like Nightmare on Elm Street Freddy Krueger thing where some of the dream effects 
cross over into the real world. He wakes up yeah. and there's a fucking bat on the ground. There's a, ba- there's a lot of him. bats. Like, there's a lot of bats on the ground. <laughs> and then there was more bats on the ground. But I was just like, thank. I literally wrote my notes. Thank you. Thank you. Let's cut over thank to God. let's cut over to WTF Rafe because of that. All right. Yeah. Let's let's do let's do WTF Rafe. Join me at camera two. Rafe, Rafe. I said last episode you only get one chance at a first impression, but I think we should probably start over because this episode is significantly better than the first. And even though I said you don't understand and respect the source material, I think at this point you just might. I mean, yeah, we don't have Tom Marilyn yet, but shit'll happen. <laughs> I'm sure you'll get around to introducing his character, even though they're almost a white bridge and that's where he but Spoiler alert. Probably take that out. (laughs) No, that's going to be beeped. (laughs) But I will say, I might have been kind of hasty and I jumped the gun. And looking at some of those Amazon reviews, I'm already planning on when I write mine stating, just skip the first episode. (laughs) Or please make it to the second episode. And I get the feeling that might be why you released three in one day. Because you didn't want to drive off the folks like me who have severe knee-jerk reactions. So, good job this episode. What the fuck, Rafe? <laughs> I'm going to skip around a little bit more on the synopsis here because I want to double back on more important things. Uh, as we keep on going here, just to finish this up, uh, the Trollocs are then unable to go into Shader Logoth, and Moraine is incapacitated enough that that is the option that land pushes for them. They enter Shader Logoth, they hide out there. Matt gets his dagger which is going to be playing a significant role in the near future. Also, Perrin normally has uh, an axe, and I think that may be morphing into the dagger that Matt just gave him, that his wife uh, made <laughs> down, you know, before. But uh, we'll see how that plays out. All the same, interesting. I thought it was very interesting. When he pulls that dagger, that's what releases what looks like static, like black static that just starts crawling. You know what it reminds me of when you open the Shadow Temple in Ocarina of Time and that like purple static comes out of the well? Mm-hmm. It looked like that, except it was black. I didn't clock that the, the dagger opening is when shit hit the fan there. But yes, so what we end up seeing is some sort of shadowy substance crawl across Shader Logoth and it consumes a fucking horse. Uh, and that poor it, horse, yeah. R.I.P. I'm sorry. Uh, probably wasn't Bella the horse, but it could be. I don't know. Wouldn't who that else. be fucked up if it was Bella? Like they just got rid of Bella immediately. <laughs> like, yeah, we don't care about the source material so much. We're Name gonna check- kill the favorite horse of everyone. <laughs> Name checker once. Now she's gone. Then they escape from Shader Logoth and are on their way. We now have a split party. We have Matt and Rand off in one direction. We have Perrin and Aguine. Never going to not say that in another direction. And then we have Lan and Moraine in the last direction, which are then uh, found upon by Eve. So Who is alive? Who would have guessed it? No way. Surprise. That is largely the synopsis. The one thing that's super significant that I left out of there, which I'm going to circle back to because I want to talk about this immediately with you, Adam, is White Cloaks. Holy shit, man. So when it comes to the White Cloaks, uh, the vibe that I get from their appearance, it matches absolutely the vibe that you get uh, when you like take them in if you're reading the books. Uh, I know I I said I'm not going to compare it too much to the books, but this is just something that I need to talk about because they got it so right. Yep. These clearly are very, like, clean cut, as if you couldn't tell from their appearance. Uh zealot type characters 
and within their own ranks you immediately see that some of them have like that sense of proper duty to interrogate people on the road which is like who the hell are you to do this to me but then someone takes it up even a step further where it's like i'm gonna come over here and i'm gonna put my fucking hands on you i'm called a questioner and they don't even seem to be more of a soldier type they're literally just there to be creepy and of course that person is first introduced watching an ace sedai burn to death which is so intense that scene was awesome. I was so thoroughly shaken by that scene because he has whatever delicacy of this bird and he he talks about part of the pleasure of eating this bird whole is that you chew its bones and its beak and its feet and it actually stabs the inside of your mouth and it's not to cause pain, but it's to cause you to bleed, which then flavors your food differently. It's so weird. Like it just shows you like, this dude's a creep. Yeah. He gathers the up the ring. He puts it on his like little trophy chain. One of these things that comes up in this, and I'll say a couple of things that I thought were weird. They have her hands cut off. I thought yeah. that was more for torture because you don't need your hands to channel necessarily. At any point in the book, they never have it where it's like, oh, it has to come out of your hands. In fact, there's a character in the series that doesn't have a hand and he can still channel. So, and it's not like he channels half as well or anything like that. So I was like, is this just straight up torture? Because mm -hmm. there's ways to block someone from channeling that are fairly routine means, you know, and, and I'm sure they're going to get to that in the show. So for me reading that or seeing that, it was like, they did this to torture this woman before she died. Mm. And that makes that scene even worse. Uh, at least, uh, you know, at least it's more torturous for that particular character. And he's just so fucking creepy about how much he enjoys what he's doing. It absolutely is creepy. And I think what else is off-putting about this is that you kind of get it more from the older Children of the Light, but also you do from this questioner, is that they are, Adam, as you said, they're zealots. But that, I mean, it doesn't imply it. These gentlemen think that they are so correct in everything that they do that it justifies cutting off this woman's hands it justifies burning her at the stake, and it also justifies, like, like, hey, I'm going to enjoy a meal in front of you as you die, as you expire, because I'm actually helping you become a better individual. Yeah, it's like, I'm we didn't agree you. on what we believed in, and so that means you're wrong, and you need to die. Yep. And I think another good thing that they show in this particular, like, stretch where you get to see the children of the light when Moraine and Lan and the party run into them is that once they realize Moraine is hurt, the older guy with the gold uh, pauldron on his shoulder, I think that's what you call it, uh, is more concerned for her well-being. And when she tells them what had happened, he's like, we need to go help these people. Because even though he is a zealot, like he understands that he needs to help people that are in need. Mm -hmm. well, whereas the other guy who tortures people is like, I'm not a soldier. I'm going to go somewhere else where I can torture more people, basically. Mm -hmm. So you get to see this like divergence immediately where it's like, yeah, they're all wearing the same color cloaks, but they have different mindsets. So... It really sets up like a coming conflict between like these two characters, which we don't even have the names for yet. I don't know exactly who they are. I know who I think they might be, but there's just like this different level of zealotry that's going to compete against each other. But they all seem to not like AS or IS Sedai. I'm trying to adjust to that pronunciation. Mm -hmm. I, I never will. I at least know who the elder white cloak is. Um, is that Geofram yes, Bornhole? Bornhol. I don't even know how to say his name. Yes, I just know yes, how I yes. read it. Uh, yeah, Ge Geofram, Geofram, something like that. Um, that That's at least what IMDb is telling me. Uh, who knows if he's an amalgamation of several characters. We will we will find that out. But uh, largely, he is... I. It was weird. I actually... I love the look, but I hate 
what the white clothes stand for, but when when Geofram was done talking to Lan and Moraine, yeah, I actually he was like sympathetic about it, and I thought it was really cool. He's like, "Wow, you actually been through some stuff." That you know, he goes, "I don't like Aesodai. We tend to avoid them, but you need to search one out." Like he advised, yeah, she's the only one that can heal that. Yeah, like he advised. He knew for them that to that's that. what she needed, and I was like, "That's solid. That's just a great example of what this episode does that episode one did not do, which is." It spends a lot of time showing you things instead of telling you things. And even though it does have exposition in it, it is focused on showing and not telling, which in this case is here's these crazy guys dressed in this incredibly clean garb, despite the fact they're in the middle of the forest that clearly have their heads up their own asses. But some of them actually have concern for another human being enough to say, look, I don't like the witches as they refer to them, but you probably need to find one because that's the only thing that can help you. Yeah. So it's just it's a it's solid. It's 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 a good introduction to these characters. Speaking of like exposition that I think was done the correct way, we should talk about the song of uh, Manatheran a little bit, or Manatheran, I believe is how they're pronouncing it. Yeah, I think this is another incredibly strong scene. It's it's just you have Rosamund Pike leading your party, and it's leading your cast. So introducing that these characters have heard this word before, they don't really know what it means, and then getting a this is like the most accurate thing that's happened so far on this show, where it's almost like word for word from the book of the story of Manatheran or Manetherin. Mm -hmm. It's just listening to that, I got goosebumps. Yeah. Like, like this is what these characters need to hear in this moment. It's like, you are from a place where people don't fucking quit. Like, just because something has insurmountable odds doesn't mean they're going to give up. Even if it is, like, the end, they will literally fight tooth and nail until it's the end. Like, that's where you fucking people are from. And it's uh, it happens organically, and I thought, of course, Rosamund Pike just fucking crushes this scene. Yep. And you get to have all these captures, which is like something that happens when you have a very good editor, is you just have cameras rolling on people's faces, and you know you can take an expression from someone that might not exactly match what's happening in that moment, and then when someone's telling a story, like you cut to their reaction to it, and their reactions based off of like how it's edited together tell you how they're receiving something. So they don't even have to say a word, but you can, like Garrett mentioned during that, like, Matt looks like he feels like he's heard this before. Mm -hmm. Like, he, he kind of has that knowing look on his face where it's like he doesn't even know where it's coming from. And there's no word spoken at all. Like, they just listen to her. And I just thought this scene was just fucking, it's the strongest scene in the entire show so far for me. Yeah. And I think the reason that we did feel that it was so strong is because, again, you're talking about editing, but also think about the actual pace as a viewer, as a, as a third party we are watching someone tell us a story. We have a natural rhythm with just the way the horses are going. They're not galloping. They are casually walking. So we just kind of fall into this. And she tells us, it's kind of lulls us together. And we get this amazing story about this rich world that brought you, Adam, and, and me, Garrett, into this all together. There's like a, a, a rich history that we're hearing about that these characters are finding out for the first time it's just what I think, as you said, we anticipated this show becoming a little bit more of. The delivery is fantastic. The reactions of the characters are fantastic. And just the pace of the scene and the length of the scene, which was not short, felt fantastic. At no point do you think, like, this is dragging on. You're like, oh, yeah. what happens next? Yeah. And what happens next? You know, it's like, it just, it is shot well, and these actors just fucking nail it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
And like going over some stuff again that I want to bring up as highlights instead of like the lowlights that I brought up. Things that they fixed. Uh, one of the main things, obviously, is uh, Rand stops whispering, which I'm very happy to see. <laughs> it reminded me of that scene in the King's Speech where he's like trying to argue with him when he's sitting on like the chair of the throne or whatever. And uh, he's like, why should I listen to you? And he shouts like, because I have a voice. Mm -hmm. Like, I felt that way. Cause it's like, finally, show some fucking emotion. You're upset. You would be in this moment. Like, go ahead and yell at her. Like, that's a dynamic you should probably get used to. You don't fucking trust her. You know she has ulterior motives. And you don't know if this horrifying thing she has told you about, one of you guys possibly being the dragon, is real or not. Like, of course you would yell. Like, one of you is going to have to do it. And then it starts to create that wedge that's going to exist between Rand and Egwene, or Egwin, where I hate how they <laughs> that, say her fucking name. Right. <laughs> like, there's this wedge now because they don't understand. He doesn't understand. Like, why aren't you on my side with this? Like, you have one conversation with this stranger, and now you're on their side. And then she basically tells him, like, here's all the things you didn't fucking notice. Like, she's killing herself to help you. Yeah. Because they are after you. Like, what the hell is wrong with you? And it's just like, yes, that is what these characters do in the book. Like, they overreact and they get put in fucking check by someone who has some goddamn sense. Mm -hmm. And it was so nice to see it happen for the first time of many times to come. And that's another thing that I started noticing is, like, they're really leaning into the fact that they can do a slow burn. They can do some subtle stuff. Like, like I don't know how many folks are going to notice the fact that, like, Land's concern... And his voicing of his concerns for Moraine grows as he notices her wound is becoming worse. Mm -hmm. He doesn't ask to see it. He can fucking feel it. They haven't explained the bond that they have between them, but it exists where they can feel each other's emotions and literal physical states. So he knows she needs rest. He absolutely knows it. And like you watch it and you say like they're showing this to you before they're telling you this. And I appreciate that shit. And then... Perrin being in pain and you hear wolves howling in the distance. Perrin like, and the wolves. Foreshadowing the eventual the wolves fucking show up to check on him and it seems at first like they're showing up to murder him because he's fucking surrounded <laughs> by wolves. I, I fucking love Perrin. I love the wolves. I love everything that's going to come with it. So them showing up I'm just like, yes. Hey, what do you think of Perrin's wife? Oh god. <laughs> okay, alright, alright. Number one, love your King's Speech reference. I will do you one better. Al Pacino, incentive a woman in the uh in the courtroom scene do you know what that's, I'm talking it's about? like a disciplinary hearing scene that's that looks what, like yeah. a courtroom yeah great scene that's what it felt like with rand he's very soft this first episode which you know fine whatever that's our introduction to him but it built to this moment where he can get mad and frustrated and actually explode at moraine everybody else is just deferring to moraine as they can and we actually see not so much perrin but we see matt and especially rand start to rail against that's going to increase over time and it gives us a nice separation of their characters i've yes. always been worried that these three characters are going to sound the same like rand is direct he is upset he's pissed he yells mm -hmm. matt doesn't trust her at all and he's more than happy to tell rand you're totally right but she shoots fucking fireballs <laughs> so let's play nice for now i was just like okay that cool line. that yeah. is matt's character right there and perrin is quiet and it sucks for me because like Perrin's not always going to be quiet. He is a quiet character. He is very introverted. He is very pensive and thoughtful about all of his words and his actions. And I've, I'm very much worried that he might be left out a little bit because they haven't found a great way to represent that on camera. You know, mm -hmm. you can't have interior monologue like you do in a book that tells you exactly what, what Perrin's going through. But you do have a scene where Matt and Perrin connect, like Garrett said, where they exchange this dagger that was made by Perrin's wife, who's named Layla, just like the Eric Clapton song. 
Eric Clapton's fucking song runs for longer than Layla had screen time. That's all I'm saying. So that, that exchange of that weapon and that nice little talk, it starts playing on the show's strengths. Let these actors lean into their characters. Let them lean into the interpersonal connections where you actually feel something, which you didn't need to invent a character to kill to have them do that. But hey, what's done is done. We get that this is going to be the motivation, even if it's heavy handed, but showing Matt and Perrin speaking to each other, like you have Rand and Egwene that you're trying to build. I get that Matt and Perrin connecting to each other. It worked and it worked very well in this episode. Mm-hmm. Episode one, they seemed more like drinking buddies. Episode two, they seem more like family members that have grown up together. I want to actually want to touch back on the fact that you said that Lan is growing more and more concerned over Moraine as her health wanes. I'm annoyingly going to talk about a major difference in the book that would feel different now. In the book, we did not actually see the whole Amon's Field Trolloc raid. We just come across it. We, we actually have Rand and Tam, his father, fight like six of these things, and then they run away, they hide, they get to Amon's Field, and there is just a total destruction, and they're like, what the hell happened? They're like, wow, Moraine did some amazing stuff. I do like that we saw it. It looked amazing, but... If we hadn't seen it, what we would see right now is Lan, this, like, he's described as, like, a wolf. He's very deadly, and he's maybe more like a viper. He's he's deadly and uh, has very calculated movement around him, but he's always in servitude of Moraine. What I really appreciated is Lan is still, like, helping her up on her horse even when she's in good health, and he takes care of her. And the reason that is, Moraine is the star of the show, and we really got to see that in episode one. And I know that this is episode two, but I I just, I I would be remiss not to talk about how much gravity she carries with her. People fall into her orbit in this show, a la the the four Tavaren that we have. And since she's such a force and she has four of these Tavaren with them, there is going to be some repelling, like opposite magnetism that's pushing against each other. There's going to be a lot of resistance with them. And we're starting to see a little bit of that, which is wonderful that it happened at this moment where their party literally does break apart. Hopefully the reunion, if that ever comes, we would see if they would like rectify that. But as it stands for right now, th- you got whisked away from your house. I think they have proper cause to be upset about what they... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think a really good point to make too that, that backs that is now that they're going to start having like this opposing force and this resistance, uh, now at the end of the episode, Nina Eve shows up. Mm-hmm. And as we know, like she does not like fucking Moraine. We've already seen that interaction between the two of them. She thinks she needs to protect these four from her. And uh, that is going to be like a very central part in the fact that now Moraine, Lan, and Nina Eve will be traveling, trying to recover the four kids that are now lost. Uh, so I think that's uh, a really solid way to stop the episode. And I am happy that they stop it there because now I really do want to watch episode three. After episode one, I was like, I don't know how much more I can take this. After episode two, I'm like, cool, let's roll into episode three because I really enjoyed it. I will say this episode was not without its faults. You know, where the fuck is the massive Trolloc army when they all leave? (laughs) They're just gone. They're just like, we're taking five. It's nighttime. We're going to the fucking casino. Bye. And uh, you don't see hide nor hair of them because it probably just costs too much to CGI them in so we can just have a headcanon that they snuck out safely. Um, and of course, like I had the feeling that we we're going to not have Bearlin, which is a city in the books that they do stop at. There's like a little bit more of a lull before they realize they're so closely being followed. And Bearlin is important because you meet a character there, which uh, I'll name, but not spoil anything about, but her name is Min. She has been cast and uh, I'm excited to meet her because she is uh, a great character. And 
I'm trying to theorize in my head now where we're going to meet her. And the next stop is apparently Whitebridge. Mm -hmm. uh, and Whitebridge is where another character uh, and they haven't even been introduced yet. One Tom Marilyn, who is everyone's favorite fucking bard, who hasn't shown up in the show yet, which we know they cast. I mean, they've shown like stills of this guy in in press releases, and you know he's hot. This dude fucks, and I want to see him. I need him to get uh, on uh, who's hot on twat. Uh, but it's not going to happen yet because he hasn't yeah. shown up yet. And I'm like, okay, cool. The time when he leaves is coming up, so I think we're going to wind up meeting him at his point of departure in the books, versus him leaving. He'll probably just hang out. Mm -hmm. um, but. Like, who the fuck knows? I'm not exactly sure how this whole thing's going to go, but I enjoyed episode two. If I'm staying just within the confines of episode two, this is the best episode of Wheel of Time I've ever watched, <laughs> hands down. Did we bring you back from the brink a little bit? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm on the roof still, but I'm not on the ledge. <laughs> All right. Um, let's take a little walk down Twat Lane into <laughs> Who's Hot on Twat <laughs> Okay, <laughs> that didn't work out. Anyway, I'm gonna throw it over to Faye for who's hot on twat. All right, guys, welcome back uh, today again to who's hot on twat. Hot, 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 where once again I discuss um, one of the characters that really stands out in the show. Um, and today for our little segment, I'm going to be talking about none other than Moraine Sedai. Um, because, I mean, obviously she was amazing in episode one with the fight with the Trollocs and Eamon's Field, but I feel like episode two is really where she shines um, and really where the Aes Sedai shine. Aes Sedai? Aes Sedai? I think while, of course, they are really cool in terms of battle and being able to channel, one of the things that she brings with her and part of the reason why I think the women of the series who have the power in different towns are called the wisdom or wise women is the fact that they have this underlying knowledge and history um, that they bring with them to both the White Tower and the outside world. And she really does do that this um, this episode. After the song about Manetherin, I've always said that as Manetherin. Same. But Absolutely apparently Manetherin. She tells the story and brings background to the fact that the True Rivers was Manetherin and that the people there the ones who are singing that song are actually descendants um, of that army of those, you know, uh, of the children of those warriors, um, which I really think like drives home a little bit deeper, the history and the culture that is coming out in this episode. Um, and then the last thing that I wanted to say about her is I really loved her introduction to the three oaths of the, of the Aes Sedai and bringing again, that kind of background of the, of the Aes Sedai of making no weapons that could uh, kill somebody of making sure to speak truth and speak no lies and not using the power as a weapon unless, you know, they are bodily threatened was just like such a great introduction to what the Aes Sedai actually are instead of, you know, our impression of them, which I think is what the show wanted us to get. We wanted, they wanted us to think that, oh, these are just these women that can channel and have this power. But really, here's the history. Here's the culture behind all of that. So that is uh, my segment today on Who's Hot on Twat. And I think today, soundly, this has to go to Moraine. Excellent. Thanks so much, Faye. So I spoke about the score in episode one a little bit about how the Mirjal shows up and we have a leitmotif of a whistling melody. And then Pat and Fane ends up whistling. We have like this association with the two of them. One thing that I did like about the scoring in this is that there's a lot of choral vocal work that's just laying in the background very reverberate it's all it's like chamber music essentially but it's all very feminine a lot of alto sopranos 
what I like about that is that subliminally speaking, it's like it, it's normally in these times where Moraine is doing something with the power or it's showing something with the Gween. It's just reinforcing that idea that the women are such a force in this universe and they are not to be trifled with. You know, you can throw 300 Trollocs at them. You can throw a shadow death fog at them and they're going to still come out ahead. So I think there's a really good example of this in a recent show as well where they, they just understand the background score and how well it can work. And it's something that can sometimes be so subtle. Like I picked up on it because Garrett mentioned like, oh, you can hear like these are like like ladies singing in a choir like while they're covering this scene where they're testing out the one power. Yeah. I was like, oh, fuck, I didn't hear that. And it's kind of funny because I watched Midnight Mass, which is a Netflix horror show, which has a lot of the same cast as Haunting of Hill House. And it is very much about like this small town that is very religious and like this thing comes and like there's this source of evil and blah, 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 blah. But there's a bunch of scenes in that show where as we're watching it, I'm just hearing and it sounds like there's like organ music playing in the background or just like like light piano music playing in the background. And I watched it with my mom and my mom was an avid churchgoer for a very long time and she's uh, she used to be in choir. And so she would point out every episode there was a hymn playing in the background. It wasn't just background music. It was a mm -hmm. like hymn which it's the hymns words were so apropos to the scene you were watching so for her it was this much deeper and richer experience where like they're talking about like eternal life and coming back from the brink of death and immortality while near my god to thee is playing in the background and things like that and so it's I was just like god damn like I never thought that this was happening and it's because I don't know those hymns that I missed it so I'm happy to hear as we're in episode two that something like that like is taking place where it's like they're very much focused on every piece of this production for these particularly poignant scenes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do my best to catch it as it's happening, but I mean, I'm only one person and I only have two ears and two eyes. A lot gets by me, but I love, love hearing this because these productions, there are so many people in each department that are curating this content for us to consume and they put their signatures on it. And when they do, it's fucking brilliant. And just keep an eye, keep an ear out for that kind of stuff. Sound design team, I will say that when uh, Lan cut the cable in Terran Ferry to let the actual ferry go, it sounded fantastic. You had a great- When they get into the big building in a Shadar Logoth, and oh, yeah. it's like, it sounds empty. It's very hard to make something sound empty. It, and it like does. how much they have the silence on point when they're having the dialogue, like nothing lives in here. Mm -hmm. It was just, it's very well done. It's amazing. And they're doing work I can only ever aspire to be privileged to do. Uh, okay, so I feel great about this. Episode two, I liked better than episode one. And episode Absolutely. one had yeah. so much more just chaos happening with it. Maybe that maybe this found its ground. And I think you might be right. Maybe this is why they released all three in a row is because they're like, <laughs> you're not going to like one, two might bring you in. And two, yeah, I think one brought is you back. expediting the plot to a point where book fans will hate it. Mm -hmm. Two, we actually, I, I wouldn't even say they slowed down. They just paced it properly. Right. Where it's not like we need to do a million things all at once and we have to do like confine it to 57 minutes or whatever it is. But yeah, two is so much better than one. Like, holy shit. I just want to reply to all of those one star reviews that I was reading. Like, did you watch episode two? Yeah. Fuck yeah, dude. That means, oh man, I got my buddy back here. <laughs> Partners <laughs> in crime. Uh, okay. Where can people find us? If you would like to locate anything that we are doing online, you can go to uh, wheeloftimepodcast.com. Uh, we also have other addresses that will redirect you. So if you want to do it the long way, if you're one of those people, 
go ahead, type in the Wheel of Time Show about the Wheel of Time Show.com and it'll bring you to our website. Or if you're one of those abbreviators and you love the name Twatsa Twats, you can also type that out. TwatsaTwats.com will bring you to our website. If you would like to communicate with us, you can go ahead and click on contact us. There is a form there that you can fill out that we'll send directly to our email. Or if you have an email address, which most of us do, click on contact us and you can see the email address you can send it to. And something else that I figured that we would do is as we start watching these episodes, we're going to write short blurbs, not super long reviews like some of these review websites do. Uh, just short blurbs about what we took for it. And then we're going to make up a rating scale for every single episode. So uh, I'm going to go write mine after this. So if you guys are very busy and you can't listen to the show on the spot, you can always check out the website and see what our take was on a particular episode. So uh, check that out in the episode review spot on the website. All right. I want to land the plane. Uh, listener, thank you so much for being here. We appreciate your time. You have X amount of time to give, and we're appreciative that you're giving it to us for this. So thank you for listening to the Wheel of Time Show about the Wheel of Time Show. I love you. And Pickerton was the best record Weezer ever released. <laughs> Who could argue with that? I love you too. Bye.